And it looks like we are in. So, good afternoon, people of YouTube and of the podcast sphere. Welcome to Spectator Diff, the esports podcast by the absolutely least paid spectators in the Overwatch League. My name is Brad. Matt is over in that box over there as usual, and we have started this podcast to talk about professional Overwatch because we have a lot of opinions, and uh, gosh darn it, someone needs to hear them. We're back uh, after a two-week hiatus for the Grand Finals, and normally we are here every week around this time, 1230 Eastern, Central, Pacific sometimes on Tuesdays uh, to discuss what's happening in Overwatch Esports. You can catch our live stream here while we are recording the podcast, and you can also uh, catch us wherever you consume your podcast uh, audio of choice. We can see our VODs on Spotify. So before we uh, get into all of this, do us a favor, leave this video a like. If you're brand new here, consider subscribing to the channel. Helps us out a lot. And uh, yeah, Shtick is we do some headlines, we recap uh, a game of the week, and uh, hit you with some predictions and get out of here. But since we have just finished the Grand Finals, we are going to talk about primarily the Grand Finals. But first, headlines. Matt, take us away. Yeah, so we got some headlines this week. Uh, thing number one, last week, the week that we took off because playoffs were happening, we... And by we, I mean Overwatch 2 was the second most viewed category on Twitch. The only thing viewed more than uh, Overwatch 2 was the just chatting category, which is, you know, Twitch code for everything else. So we beat Dota 2 in League of Legends. Probably had something to do with all the drops. But like, hey, I think Overwatch is back. Nah, dead Overwatch game. Overwatch is a live game, man. Dead game. Dead game fake news. <laughs> Nobody plays this shit. Are you talking? What are you talking about? Well, for those of you who are still playing, Ramat remains. Rise up! The next hero is set to launch in early December. Clearly, I don't care that much about talking about Twitch numbers, Brad. I do want to talk about this new hero. Your initial thoughts on the tank coming December sixth, please. I'm gonna buy that bust. I'm 100 buying the bust. Uh, no, seriously. Um, it's uh, it, Ramacha looks cool as hell. Looks so cool. I I love the idea of of a transforming tank. Um, I am also very very excited for the fact that this is now the the second full hero designed with five v five in mind. And we know how great Kiriko is. Um, it, you know, obviously Sojourn and and uh, Junker Queen like brand new to the game as well but neither was designed with the idea of the 5v5 um play style so i'm very very excited to see what this tank offers to the fold um initial impressions initial like thoughts of the kit that have leaked and things like that some of the things that the devs have sort of done in their q a on reddit and whatnot all look very very promising um so it, again, like everything else, I know that as we get more details over the next two, three weeks, uh, it's going to shift the tone of the conversation to, oh, it's going to be broken, it's going to be broken, wah, wah. But we, we just got to wait and see at this point. It's going to be, I'm really excited. I'm just glad to have more content, to be more, <laughs> to be honest with you. Fill out that tank roster, fill out that support roster. Let's go. Give me more, give me more. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. I do think that uh the the one leak that i've read that is the most interesting to me 
is one of his abilities seems to be like a large AOE slow. And at least yeah. one of the leaks that I read so far seems to confirm that that large slow grounds flying heroes. Ooh, I love it. I want yeah. it. I am so sick of dealing with Farah. I, <laughs> I am so tired of Farah. I am also exhausted of Pharaoh. Oh so my I, god, give me it. I'm super into the idea of being able to ground flyers. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, Ramatra launches with Season 2 on December 6th. You know, Battle Pass, gonna have to pay for it or play to level 6 million or whatever you get to unlock 55, the folks. It's just 55. Everybody breathe. <laughs> god damn. Is it just 50? I thought it's, it was 80. I honestly haven't looked. It's 55, and I'm going to tell you this. I got to 55 in two weeks. I, I Yeah, I, I'm far past there. Now, granted, like, I played probably a little bit more than the average player, um, but I have things to do in my life these days, so I didn't get to play nearly as much as I wanted to. So for someone who plays the game at a hobby level, as like their end of the day, like I have I have my free time. This is what I'm gonna do with it. 55 is attainable in two weeks. Do I think it's like a little bit on the long side? Yeah, but it is absolutely doable. You're talking about in time to to play ranked with the new hero if you really, really that's what you're going for. So yeah, and I mean <clears throat> I can clear most of my dailies in like three games. Yeah, right. Yeah, so like that's like the average. If, and and clearing all of your dailies usually gets you like a level and a half to two levels on the battle pass. I mean, so like look at it this put it this way like I have, you know I've had days that I've been able to play more and days I've been I've only been able to play a little bit or not at all. So, like, I haven't even played every single day since the game launched. And as of tonight, I will have completed my first rotation through the Battle Pass. So, like... Yeah. And that's 28 days to go until the next until the next season. So, I, for, I, I would say for the slightly above average player, if you really want to make this game free, it's more than doable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, it does not seem terrible i think the battle pass grind is really reasonable honestly i i never feel like i'm just playing the game to gain levels i feel like i'm gaining levels quickly i will say the coin grind feels miserable um yeah the the coin grind is a little slow and i i think that needs to be changed i have another headline about that we'll get to in a couple of minutes but uh yeah as far as the battle pass grind goes doesn't feel that bad you do have 28 days before the next one launches but be aware Season one ends officially, uh, and season two begins on December sixth. That's fast. Speak feels so. Yeah. It feels like just yesterday that we started this already. I know, right? It's it's gone so quickly. Like when they announced Ramatra at Grand Finals, I was like, "We really getting another new hero?" Yeah. And I I forget that the two plus years between Echo and Sojourn were not standard protocol i mean we're about uh, to go into double time with it too like after after Ramatra launches it's gonna be two seasons before we get the next one so maybe that'll even out but you know even the even more than that even like a what well, i guess that'd be a four month break between uh, here six months like about six yeah you think? yeah all right like still we'll find out we'll see yeah well, speaking of December 6th, it will not only bring the launch of Ramatra, but also likely a new DPS passive. 
um, or some sort of changes to the DPS passive. Some of the Overwatch devs did an AMA via Twitter on October 28th. One of the questions asked was, are you considering to look at the DPS passive due to how the speed boosts that get provided from it benefit certain heroes like flankers a lot more than other DPS? Also, would you rebalance heroes like Genji if the DPS passive does not get changed, or excuse me, does get changed? The answer from Alec Dawson was yes. DPS passive is at the top for changes in season two for reasons you bring up, but also sentiment that it is hard to aim with on certain heroes. We want to see how heroes like Genji perform with the passive changes first, then evaluate from there. Open to readjusting though. So I don't know what the new passive will be, but they changed it. They're they're just gonna have such a hard time with this. This DPS passive thing is gonna curse them for so so long. I don't know I, I don't know what the solution is. Honestly, honestly, I think their better bet would be to do like a a hit scan passive and like a flanker passive and split the difference between between the category because quite honestly there is not they're gonna have a hard time finding a passive that is beneficial to the entire DPS roster simultaneously without being completely busted. Um, obviously, this whole... If, unless you're listening to TikTok, which no one should listen to TikTok. Holy crap, the Overwatch takes on TikTok are garbage. Oh my <laughs> goodness, I didn't think it could be that bad. But that's how you know the game is back. But that's a whole other dissertation. Um, sure is. Like, I... The DPS passive in its current form is not broken. It's just kind of like underwhelming, especially if you're a hit scan player. Um, like Widow doesn't get much of a benefit from it. Um, Ash does suffer. I will say it's really, really hard to aim with Ash if you're popping off because you that the tempo of your movement gets so freaking wonky that it's just really hard to do anything with, and. You know, I, I have not seen... I, I wouldn't say anything that has happened to me with Genji uh, receiving that passive. I wouldn't call it broken. I just think that, like, at this point, they need they just need to full-on reevaluate. There's no, like... I don't know what the answer is for this, but it's going to be a problem for multiple seasons, I think. So I don't have TikTok... Uh, and I don't know the takes on Overwatch TikTok, but can I tell you, I think I've solved the DPS passive problem. All right, let me hear I it. Think, I think I know what the DPS passive should be, right? So what's the idea of a passive? The concept of a passive is to help your role do your role better. Tank passive, less knockback. Easier to tank. Great. Okay. Support passive, you heal yourself. You You do more healing because you heal yourself. Great easy love it so what do damage players do they do damage how can we make damage players do more damage i think the new damage passive should be that damage heroes get a 1.1 multiplier to body shots on tanks on tanks specifically well i would go everybody to be mm. honest but i think when you apply that to supports it gets scary yeah well i was, um, I was gonna say if you if you do that right now all of you're just gonna those support cues are gonna be 
abysmal. Like, it's, you're not even going to be in a queue. You're just going to be, you're going to be in the menu and you're going to get drafted into a support game. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So like I go back and forth between should it just be on tanks? Should it just be on damage? Should it be on tanks and damage? Is it worth it to make a passive that some role is immune to? I do think, honestly, I think it would be fun if you got that multiplier specifically against other damage heroes, right? Uh, so it gives... I could I could see it against damage. I think with ta doing it outside of the damage role itself, I think you're going to run the risk of, like, deleting tanks in the 6v6 fashion or just murdering your support players. Like, Yeah, I think it would be cool to put it on damage uh, because it encourages your DPS heroes to focus other damage heroes as opposed to just diving supports. Um, and yeah. I don't think it needs to be a lot, you know? it's Nobody's winning the game because supports heal themselves, right? Nobody's winning the games because tanks have less knockback. So you don't want to buff damage so high that, like, power creep gets insane and suddenly it's all about your DPS. Like, a 1.1 multiplier is relatively negligible, but is still a passive. And I, I do think, like... You know, however you want to apply it, I think a small multiplier to something other than headshots, like, I kind of got this idea off of Kiriko getting a 3x multiplier on headshot. Like, why can't you apply that multiplier in a different way, right? So, like, add a little extra damage to DPS, but again, a little extra damage, not a lot extra damage you know yeah i could i could see that that's that's definitely one way to look at it i still i still think that we could revisit the the speed boost idea the just like across the board speed boost idea from the original beta um i don't know there's definitely there's something there as well i <clears throat> like i said it's just, it's one of those things where it's just hard to because to your 1.1 multiplier point um Think about the body shot bandit widows. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's a very fine break point where that starts to become oppressive. So let's now now I'm invested. If I do Overwatch 2 Widow, I gotta look at Widow's numbers because I don't remember them off the top of my head. Um abilities. Okay, so at a hundred percent power the widow's gun does 120 damage to the body so yeah uh yeah yeah at as long as you're not outside of 100 meters like the the fall off range so 120 with a 1.1 multiplier is only 132 so like it's it it's there. I'm not going to argue with you. I don't disagree that it gets... It, the numbers get scary at some point. Um, but, like... It's just one of the... the I don't know. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> I, I'm not... Like I said, it's not a bad idea. I'm I'm just... I'm thinking... I'm, I'm thinking pragmatically in terms of, like... Because Overwatch is a game entirely about breakpoints, right? Mm -hmm. And And because there's so much in the way of ability stacking that goes on across the board when you start to mess with the the specific damage numbers themselves those breakpoints become a very very fine line at at certain points so like there's there's definitely validity to the idea and 
And I wouldn't be surprised if the specific number had to be something like 1.08 or something because of after ability stacking, it's like preventing a, uh, an instant one shot on multiple things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to because when we talk about the game balance in and of itself and how it's usually done from the top down, obviously, like, the the largest chunk of the community can't get the full value out of most of the things that happen but in if you don't acknowledge the breakpoints when it comes to the balancing that top handful of percent is just unplayable at a point yeah for sure it's the hard well, i mean it's the paradox of of uh of overwatch and how to and the, the overwatch balancing it sure is and you know like the big conversation with sojourn that the devs have had in a lot of these amas with people asking for sojourn nerfs has been like sojourns really oppressive at high levels but only at high levels you know like down below gold you're not getting that same sort of impact from sojourn and and i think it's that same when you try and come up with a passive like how do you create something that doesn't really separate high levels from low levels right and that's that's ultimately why i think the the answer lies in like a group of passives within the dps role because there are so, there's so much diversity going on down there that i they've kind of again boxed themselves into a corner with what can happen you know you could have theoretically you could have a passive that affects specifically the flying heroes you could have a passive that specifically affects the flankers the passive that specifically affects the, the ranged units and if you can customize it like within categories like that at that point you have more room to play and it's less likely to just break the role and I, I understand from the dev standpoint, that's probably fucking hard to do. Yeah. But, like, with a roster as big as you have in Overwatch 2, that may be the only blanket... So that, not blanket. That may be the only solution because I don't think a blanket solution is gonna is gonna do it the whole way here. What if... Okay, I, I've got one other idea that I just kind of brainstormed while we were sitting here talking about breakpoints. And, and I'm thinking of, like... How do you get away from numbers? Like, how do you get away from a passive that changes the numbers? What if DPS heroes got a speed boost out of spawn on respawn? That's, so that's only when you got some poten uh, potential to it. Like, if, like a five-second-ish, something like that, plus or minus... You know, basically yeah. the time it takes to get from spawn to point, not even, maybe like halfway, um, mm -hmm. that might have some potential to it. I don't, I don't hate that at all. That's certainly, that has, you know, that has some great implications or, or subsequently like their, the respawn timer goes down yeah, or something it'd be like shorter. Yeah. That, that has, I think there, there's some potential there. Absolutely. You know, I, I think with the passive, the, the biggest thing needs to be it doesn't affect specifically the damage numbers but like i i don't i also don't hate like the reload off of off of elimination the reload boost off of uh of that yeah like, i like that a lot you know because that helps you that helps you when when re-engaging i think uh, there's mm -hmm. there's definitely benefit there it sounds small but it does 
buff the damage without specifically touching the numbers. So yeah, you know, it's it, there's there's a bunch of different things they could do. I I still I just think it's not gonna be a blanket solution to really solve the problems that they're having. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, hey, let's move on. I've got a couple more headlines. Sure. Thing number one. Uh, I dubbed Grand Finals the Butterfinger Bowl because we saw Butterfinger crudely pa- all over the place. <laughs> crudely plastered on random buildings. Oh, it was so crudely funny. Crudely plastered. Oh, it was so yeah, funny. Uh, and I I got to say, like, for Overwatch League, I think that this is a great idea. I, I think that there's a lot of potential to bring new money into the league through in-game advertisement like that god if they push it to live i'm quitting the game do not push advertisements on me to live and if you do keyframe them correctly jesus christ you guys like some of those butterfinger logos were bad they were but all those things said if you didn't know which i did not you can get free stuff by buying butterfingers if you buy Real life Butterfingers, either a bag of Butterfingers, and I'm reading from an article, I don't know how big a bag has to be, but a bag or two chocolate bars, two bars of eligible chocolate, entitles you to in-game rewards. In-game rewards, Brad, isn't that fun for buying Butterfingers? That that is fun for buying Butterfingers. That's also... I have a bodega. Like, I I can see it. I'm looking at the bodega right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I can see it. Well, I, I'll tell you this. So each qualifying purchase has to be either one bag or two bars of eligible chocolate. Your first qualifying purchase gets you a Sojourn Power Slide Spray. Mm. Your second qualifying purchase gets you a Junker Queen Golden Crown Spray. And your third qualifying purchase gets you a jaren man icon i don't know who jaren man is i don't know but there you go buy butterfingers get free stuff wow (laughs) we're we're all four butterfingers away from two for two free skins i will uh, free sprays not skins i will say if they if they were to like plaster the logos into the live game i wouldn't be upset about it because there's but there's there's ways to do it effectively and i would hope at that point the money is being spent uh to actually make it look good um and if if they're getting their corporate sponsors back i i'm honestly i'm less mad about it i'm less mad about it because this game needs all of the help it can get to make up for the last couple of years so yeah you know it certainly does big uh, microsoft get on it come on make it happen well talking about actively is getting money yeah my my last headline before we get to just rant for a minute, because this ends with a rant. But my last headline is, uh, you know, people have talked a lot about cosmetic prices in Overwatch 2. Turns out Overwatch 2 cosmetics cheaper in yeah. real life than in the game. So you talking about that Pachamari, po- like little... Yeah. I sure am talking uh. about the Pachamari weapon charm. So you can go to the Blizzard store right now and you can buy in real life a Pachamari keychain, which is the same as the Pachamari weapon uh, charm that keychain is five dollars the Pachamari weapon charm in game seven dollars save two dollars get it in real life so obviously this is a huge oversight obviously this is a huge oversight I will say it's probably in part because the the 
they are two different teams. Whoever's doing the merchandise versus whoever's doing the in-game monetization. Probably two entirely separate teams. That, my guess is, don't have a lot of communication back and forth between one another. That being said... <laughs> You would think that it would have crossed someone's desk at some point to maybe check on that. Because gamers right. will find it. We will. Seagull we sure found will. it in like an hour. <laughs> like. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, mm. I, I think this is the best argument so far to in-game cosmetics are too expensive. Yes. Which I'll be, I'll be Absolutely. honest. I don't disagree with. I I. I get it. Blizzard needs to make money. It's a free-to-play game. I'm not saying cosmetics need to be free. We get it. I'm. I'm. Let's move past that. I think that ticket prices are a little high for cosmetics in Overwatch 2 right now. And if there is one thing that proves it, it's that you can buy the cosmetics in real life for less real-life money. Yeah, that's a problem. That is a problem. And like, I look. Obviously, people, you got to speak up. That's how change gets, you know, especially like this week, especially it's an important lesson for life that, you know, speak up if you want change to happen. Uh, so, you know, I, I absolutely do not expect, I do not expect Blizzard to, to stick to their guns on these prices. Clearly, they're willing to negotiate a little bit. Now you can unbundle the cosmetics. Like that is a thing that we're getting. You're able to buy individual parts of bundles now the prices are still high but if you just want the skin and don't want to pay 26 dollars for like five different things you can just buy the one thing so that's already a step in the right direction the next the next step is going to be for them to reduce prices which you know i don't know if it's going to be in their best interest to do because Clearly, all of the streamers are buying the shit. All of the streamers I've seen this past couple of weeks have been giving away bundles and shit. So, like, transactions are being made. And the, and the question remains, are enough transactions being made at the current price point to incentivize them to lower? The, that, the number has to be too low on the, on the price point to say, like, we need to lower these prices before yeah. so that we can make actually make money off of this it's it's just you know that's the point that it has to get to so rather than uh, rather than everybody just complain just don't buy the damn thing mm -hmm. i know it's cool it might be really cool but like if you're really hell-bent on saying this is too expensive just don't buy it and eventually they will have to lower the price most of these cosmetics yeah. will eventually come back around anyway because the store is a an ever rotating entity now so right you know, complain by, by like, absolutely complain, voice your opinion on it, because, like, yeah, the prices are a little ridiculous. But, like, the biggest thing you can do is just not buy the shit. Right. I, I do think the prices are ridiculous. The thing that I would like to see Blizzard change uh, in-game right now is less the actual prices, and I just want to see the coin gain get a little higher. That could um, be, yeah. Yeah, I think that would go a long way. Like, right now, I mean, the coin grind is slow. And some of those weekly challenges, like, it is tough to get all 11 weekly challenges yes. every week as a casual player. I think um, I think the biggest the, the biggest part for me that I don't like with it is the, is the requirement for specific game modes. Because um, mm -hmm. I have... Uh, to win seven games in the arcade, 
win seven games in the arcade. That's that's that challenge specifically. Get rid of that because it's it's. I don't even want to play seven games in the arcade. Trying to win them is really really hard because nobody is trying to win an arcade. Literally, yeah. no one is trying to win an arcade. So get if you want to do play seven games, fine. Win no. Yeah. <laughs> The one that's really been driving me the most insane is the ever-present weekly challenge of win te- win 10 games queued as two different roles when there's no way to track how many oh, wins you've gotten. I think that's that shit. that they just need to f- update the the um the UI on. They need to just yeah. fix the UI for that so that you know what you're like maybe put a counter in the bar that says number of games per per role. Don't don't keep me guessing because that's the only way like no, no. Just fix the UI yeah. and that challenge is fine. Yeah, so I, I hope that I hope that things change. I think that over time they will. It's early. Brad said it very well. If you're upset about this, just stop giving Blizzard your money and they will learn eventually. I promise. <laughs> All right. My last headline, and we have about two minutes before it's time to move on to playoff recap. So it's not going to be a long rant, but I have a rant. Okay. Gamerrant.com. I just closed my video window. Okay, (laughs) good. I'm still on the call. I thought for a second that I had exited the call. Anyway, Gamerrant, the website, posted an article two days ago and i got a news notification for it this morning and the headline of that article is overwatch 2 needs to ban the word diff clearly i as one of the co-hosts of a podcast called spectator diff took this shit personally (laughs) the argument made in this article is that diff is a word that exists nothing more than or for nothing more than to be toxic. It's it they gamer rant once diff in the same category as GG Easy. I think that's dumb. And I'm just going to say it. I think it's dumb. I think there is so much value, so much value to Blizzard and Acta Blizzard and Microsoft and all these fucking Silicon Valley nerds. There's a ton of value to these idiots figuring out ways to cut back toxicity in their game, censoring chat, banning people from voice, stopping people from being racist and sexist and misogynistic and all the things. But diff is not toxic. You're bad at playing support. That's your fault, not mine. (laughs) Done. Wow. I thought I was going to be the one to be harsh on this. God damn, dog. (laughs) It's just like, it's, diff it's not it's not a bad word oh my god like it's that old john mulaney bit if there's a word and another word and you won't even say one of them that's the worst word (laughs) that's what i'm saying man like okay i think it's a little silly that they censor gg easy oh yeah i think it's kind of goofy but like whatever but diff i mean come on like if 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 we lose a game because you had 3k healing and the other team combined had 27k healing it's a support diff and you're bad and i should be allowed to tell you yeah that you're bad that's fair and we lost because it's your fault i just like okay it's always it's always these 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 
these game journalism articles that are that are like you know they're trying to combat every inch of toxicity and it's just not realistic it's not mm-hmm. realistic look the amount of times in god it's it's especially been in the low rank grind cuz that reset hit me fucking hard but like <laughs> uh it's my fault for not playing ranked since 2020 but like trying yeah, to like like grinding out of those those low ranks the the amount of just angry people the amount of angry people that are just angry to be angry like i've i've now I've now completely like I've turned off text chat because nothing good ever comes from it in the low ranks. The only like the only useful discourse ever comes from from uh, team chat, and mm-hmm. and like if you're not in if you're not in voice chat, it's it's a it's basically GG go next because voice voice chat is a win condition now. <laughs> like that is a win yeah. condition at low ranks. I hate to break it to everybody. Be in chat, win more games. Period. Um, but like the game's already recording every voice conversation and the machine learning AI is apparently learning fucking context. So if you get reported and the, 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 this AI, which is apparently very, very good at its job now, like, and it determines that, Hey, you were being an asshole and you're banned now. They've already got a lot. They've already got a lot working for it. They already got a lot. And if honestly, if it's getting the racist, misogynistic, um, bigoted kids out of the game like great i think i call that a net an absolute win that is an absolute win you cannot police every little ounce of of everything and you're asking a machine learning ai to learn the context of now an entirely other phrase which x diff is now has it has eight million contacts of its own you look at the look at the streamers that play this game that are just like flaming their friends across the team for for the hell of it like that's yeah. you're asking that you're asking for the machine learning to now learn the context of when they're just being shitty to each other not being toxic like yeah and like there's a big difference between like you know me saying support diff um and okay i'll put my cards on the table Part of the reason I don't want him to ban diff is because diff is an easy word to type on a console keyboard, like a very easy word. So when I get angry <laughs> when I'm playing on console, it's a word I can use and I don't want him to ban it. But I will say like there's a big difference between somebody throwing slurs around and somebody saying support diff. Like a big big difference. Oh, and the difference absolutely. there is like one of those oh, things encourages so people not to play games. The other one encourages people to turn off the freaking text chat. If the word diff offends you, turn off the text chat or play a new game. Yes. Done. I'm like, done. I don't want to talk about this anymore, if, but I'm done. Yeah, if you're so worried, like I said, if you're so worried about this showing up in text chat, just turn off text chat. Like, I did it for my own sanity because I'm I'm competitive and I just don't want to, I, I don't want some idiot tilting me by saying something stupid. I would just rather, I would rather focus on my gameplay and like, if I realize that we're losing, figure out how I'm going to be better than this team. Like, that's what I wanted. So I've turned that off and I'm just in voice chat. Like, that's literally all it, like, it's, it is a, it's a blanket solution that, that, that solves everything. And like, I don't know, man, I, I, I swear to God, some of these game journalists just get so butthurt about the silliest shit. It's just, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. I'm all and about. I get that. I'm all about cutting back on toxicity, but there's th- like, 
come on. <laughs> yeah. Thicken your skin I, I a little was, bit. I, I would say that this is an article that was likely written to get hate clicks, mm-hmm. and I hate clicked it, so they got me. Uh, and that's all I've got for headlines. That's sure. it. We're done. Uh, it's time to move on to playoffs. Let's Our, talk about playoffs. Let's talk about playoffs. You're talking about playoffs? Yeah, we're talking about playoffs. So, the Dallas Fuel and the San Francisco Shock took it all the way to seven maps, but the grand finals victory was claimed by those who burn blue as the Dallas Fuel finally get their franchise first grand finals win. Before we get into what happened during the tournament, I want to take a moment to reflect on our rankings and preds from the last episode. Brad, just give me like an over an overarching rating not on our preds because our preds oh, yeah, were our, silly yeah. as everyone's were. Give give me like a seven out of ten rating on our uh, our power rankings we did last week. Uh, th- these are our rankings, right? Uh, yep. The ones on the left are us, and the ones on the right are actual position. Huh? You know, we did all right. We didn't do too bad. A seven, uh, like uh, an out of ten rating. We probably did like I'll, I'll give us like a six, because like yeah, I'll give us a six. We we actually, you know what? We did all right. Mm-hmm. There are we really screwed up like two things, yeah. and or, <laughs> yep. or, I guess four teams because two up, two down. Um, we put Glad's in Shanghai way too high. We put Outlaw and Spark way too low. Other than that, we did really well. So for those who didn't listen or watch last week's episode, we did power rankings, how we thought folks were going to do. Um, I will say we put Glad's on top of those power rankings, which was silly. Boy, they really um, they, they really done pooped the bed, didn't they? <laughs> they sure did. Wow. They sure did. Wow, did they not show up for this? What I think is cool is that we put Bitfire in at number five, Dynasty in at number six, and Florida Mayhem in at number seven. And in fifth place at the end of the tournament was the London Spitfire. Sixth place was the Soul Dynasty. And seven was the Florida Mayhem. So we nailed three of 12. We got 100% correct, which there, is pretty cool. There you have it, Spectator Diff fans. This is, this is the content that you show up for. We are so good. We are so good at predictions that we got three out of 12. Exactly we are 33% right. good. We are. Yes. <laughs> so... That's that's looking at our rankings. I, I do think that we did pretty well overall. We aligned with what basically everybody else in the community was saying, um, with the exception of we put Spark last. And I, I guess, okay. I'm so had mad we at the known, Spark. Had we known how hard a Sojourn meta they were going to be playing in Grand Finals, maybe we would have given more credit to shy popping off um obviously we didn't know exactly what the meta and the patch was going to look like we didn't know reaper sojourn was going to be the dps run which was something that just like fit shy and alpha Yi really well and pineapple i guess um so maybe we would have put spark higher but going into playoffs i don't feel bad about putting spark at the bottom of these preds god no it's like, it, it, you look at it in the sense of gambling. You're talking about smart money. Like, if you're betting exclusively on Shy, even in a Sojourn meta, you're you're hedging a lot of bets. 
a lot mm -hmm. of bets. Like, no. <laughs> it's, it's the smart money was never on Spark to begin with. So with that in mind, now that we've had that little conversation, like I said, our bracket was booned, as everybody's was. But I want to know from you, for your own personal bracket, because I know we both filled out our own brackets outside of what we did on the show last week, what was the first game that just ruined it all for you? Shanghai that Spark. You were like, it's over. Shanghai Spark, Shanghai and then Spark. everything went tits up. <laughs> like literally the second that 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 uh shanghai got shut out what was it, it was like a, it was an, it was a 3-0 like yep it wasn't even close like the second that that happened everything went tits up from there because then everybody picked everybody else that i didn't predict and then just uh, all chaos everything was chaos you couldn't have picked that bracket if if you threw darts at a board uh <laughs> jesus yep yeah, I mine was similar. Mine was just the game before. Uh, mine was San Francisco or not San Francisco Gladiators. It was um, oh, I wrote it down. Winners round two, London versus Gladiators. When London beat LA three to one, I was like, well, that's it for me, everybody. Pack it up and go home. I looked pretty okay through the first round. The only game I missed in the first round was Spark Dragons. I did not have Dragons going very far at all, so it wasn't terrible but i did have la winning it all and when they lost in their first game it was bad news for me so let's talk about what did happen yeah in the playoffs this weekend or this last week i've got some bullet points here we can run through them if you got other stuff you want to talk about it i'm just here to to reminisce about playoffs thing number one i kind of have these chronologically the Hangzhou Spark beat the Shanghai Dragons on day one, and they ride that momentum all the way to loser semi. So, Brad, talk to me about that. I know you said it was what just dunked your bracket in a bucket of gasoline. I don't have too much to say about this, though, because at the end of the day, there was just one deciding factor, and and it was blatantly obvious. It was it was the reliance on Shy to just kill everyone. You know, yep. that you you could see exactly where things fell apart for the Spark, and it was any time that the opposing team was able to focus him down and prevent him from getting value. At the end of the day, their entire their entire bracket run rested on Shy's shoulders. You know, Gujway did all right. He held his own all right in the Winston department, but so far as to you know guide sightlines enough for for um, Shy to get value. Outside of that. There's nothing about what I watched them do that impressed me. You know, they they should be proud of their run that it got them to where it did. But again, you know, the 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 lack of of full team input is what stopped them in their tracks. And I'll I'll get more on that point with other teams as well, but that's basically the takeaway. Yeah, I think there's certainly been enough said this season about you know, like the San Francisco shock are only successful if proper is allowed to pop off. And I've certainly said that myself, but that idea was, let me start that over. That idea has never been more evident than it was in shy's performance and the sparks performance in playoffs. Like yes. if shy was not enabled, the spark lost yep. period. So moving on, talking about losers, we had four teams that didn't win a single game in the playoffs. 
Jeez. Philly, Shanghai, Atlanta, and Toronto all left Anaheim winless. I'm curious, Brad, if any of those surprise you, what surprises you the most? What are your thoughts on that spread? Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta is the one that stands out because I had I, I had low expectations for Atlanta even in my predictions, but I didn't expect it to be that low. I had them winning a couple of games, I think, when everything was all said and done. I had them beating, beating the Spark at one point. Um, and, you know, obviously, I, did, I, I'm pretty sure Atlanta played the Spark at some point during this tournament in the lower bracket, right? So Atlanta only played the Florida Mayhem. They only Atlanta played lost the Mayhem. Florida oh, Mayhem it was too. It was too. Yeah, it was a rematch situation too. Yeah, I had I had Atlanta like winning a couple of games. I didn't expect them to get completely shut out. Um, it's uh, to be honest, it's the most surprising. I didn't think Toronto looked great going into this. Um, Shanghai, I guess, is also pretty surprising because everybody was pretty high on them. Um, Actually, I will, I'll amend that. Shanghai is the biggest surprise. Uh, <laughs> but um, Philly, Toronto, not so much. Everyone kind of, like, looks at Philly as having, like, playoff potential because they always show up, but not even here. Like, it's... And, and part of it has to do with the meta. Part of it has to do with the meta across the board with all of this. Um, it's weird that this didn't suit Shanghai better. Um, that's... Uh, given everything that we know about how this all played out and what what the state of the game was going into this, Shanghai should have performed substantially better than they did. As as it should be said, Atlanta as well probably should have performed better than they did, all things considered. Yeah, you know, I was not super high on Atlanta coming into this tournament, and I was not super surprised that they didn't look great um atlanta as a whole all season has been pretty underwhelming to me and i was really worried coming into playoffs of what atlanta's support line was gonna do i didn't have a lot of concern about damage but like you know og and ultraviolet are fine but which one of them do you put on kiriko and how much trust do you give that person And then you have Vigilante, who has had some games that have looked really good, but I would say has not played enough this season to know, you know, what his real potential is. So I I didn't have super high hopes for Atlanta. One of my biggest surprises was Toronto. I expected Toronto to do better. Um, I thought Hisu was going to be a much bigger difference maker. I I felt good about Chorong on Lucio. Like, I felt pretty good about Twilight on Kiriko. So I was kind of surprised that we didn't get more out of Toronto in this tournament. Yeah. As far as Shanghai goes, Shanghai always seems to be really hit or miss. I I was very surprised that we didn't see more from them. Philly, not surprised at all. Um, Philly really did seem like the 12th team that showed up to make the bracket even. So... Going on, one of the first big surprises of this tournament outside of Spark Shanghai was that the shock lost to the Houston Outlaws 3-2 and the LA Gladiators lost to London 3-1 in their first games. Talk to me a little bit, Brad, about how you thought 
let's start with LA. How do you think LA performed as a whole in this tournament? And do you think that because they didn't play in playoffs or in play-ins, they came into playoffs too cold to compete against Houston who had played a whole lot of Overwatch and was really on fire. I'm going to start with your second point. No, I don't think they were too cold at all. I think, and this is going to kind of, this this point that I'm going to make is going to bleed into multiple points in this conversation about other teams and, and the rest of the, the finals as a whole. Um, there were two play styles that developed throughout the course of the playoffs. And... It was basically it was an incredibly fast, incredibly aggressive balls to the wall play style and a much more subdued, patient play style. And one of those two play styles was extremely dominant and borderline unbeatable. And if you didn't adapt to that play style, you just didn't win. And it was that particular play style was the fast paced balls to the wall. Just everything just, you know, scorched earth is what yeah. I would is what I would equate that play style. And LA didn't do it. They never the, the the entire time in every game that they played, they were not fast enough. They were not decisive enough. They were not seizing every inch of space that they could possibly take. And this is something that they are capable of doing. But I will say I don't think that it, the, that particular play style is conducive to the rookies in the league and especially not to rookie tank players. I think Reiner specifically struggled very, very heavily because he suffers from the same problems as some of the other tanks I'll talk about later. Like, he doesn't know... He doesn't have the control of his space taking. He either goes too far or not far enough, and he cannot split the difference consistently to get the value for the rest of his team. And this is... this The meta that developed in this series of games was very reliant on on team cohesion. The the Winston player needed to grab sight lines, needed to control uh entire lanes effectively and and manage cooldowns like a madman. And I just don't think that Reiner was prepared for that. I don't think that the hive mind really existed with LA that needed to pull off the meta that existed. Um that was really the predominant meta in uh in these finals as for london um you know i i think london adapted as best they could i think their limitations were sort of were sort of in a overall cohesion standpoint i i don't think that they are quite as coordinated as they need to be i think all of the players themselves are very capable but I just don't think the full-on team coordination is there to make everything happen. They certainly have all of the pieces. It's just a matter of putting them together to make it work. And this was not a meta where they could really um, do the London way and and go something else and and press Reinhardt to win. Like that's you couldn't do that here. There's just not. It was not an option. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Honestly, like uh, I'm very proud of the playoff run that london put together absolutely um going two and two through the playoffs was huge the teams they lost to were teams that went far i mean like london's first loss was to houston their second loss was to honjo so i think they played really really well i hope that we don't see london 
get hugely restructured before next season. I think if London keeps a lot of their roster, then they could be a a real force to reckon with next year. I do think Hottie struggled. Hottie did as good as he could on Winston, and honestly, Hottie's Winston is better than Reiner's was, yeah. but not phenomenal. Um, and I, I think that, like it was for London or for LA, was their limiting factor. Um, I was a little bit surprised that we didn't see any Poco. I kind of thought we get some Poco action at some point. I mean, but... he's he's an off tank player. He doesn't he doesn't do the Winston. He does not play the Winston. That's the thing. And you know, I, I think so. Sort of going back to this point where where Shock lost to Houston in the first in their first matchup, and then and then uh, London won. London recognized very early on what needed to be done uh, to to move further. Okay, like I said, they never really formed fully formed the the they never got to the final form of what the meta needed to be, but they were more on track than I think the Shock were to start with. Um, mm-hmm. which is why the shock lost to Houston early on because Houston surprised everybody and I, to to be to their credit looked the closest to Dallas than anybody else in uh in the tournament had up until they lost to the shock in uh semis. Yeah. Like I I was stunned by how well Houston pulled it together. So like I I think the the adaptation of what of what this meta was was the defining factor for most of the teams at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So these two big losses set up what I predicted to be the grand finals to happen in losers round two. And that was San Francisco versus LA San Francisco won this game three, one and Brad, I want to hear your takes on this game. I have some takes that I, I think double down on some of the things that you were just talking about, but I'll let you lead. What were your thoughts on San Francisco, LA? This was the start of when the switch like was starting to flip for San Francisco. They hadn't quite gotten there yet. Um, they were still playing a lot slower and they hadn't really figured out what it was that they wanted to do, but you could start to see glimmers of where they were headed. Um, and, and it was just a case of LA just didn't adapt. They did not adapt. They had, they were clueless. I'm, I'm going to say it. They were just absolutely yeah. clueless to w- how this meta needed to be played. And I don't really know why, you know, again, they had the tools, they had the tools that I'm, I'm wondering what was going on with their coaching staff to see what was going on and try and figure it out. But I just, I don't think they necessarily had I don't think they have the kind of aggression. I don't think as a team they have the kind of aggression that they needed. And even, I don't even know if you could force that on them. I think this was just a not a great outcome for the meta for them. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, my biggest problem with LA in this tournament was Reiner. I thought Reiner looked bad. Not like yeah. off bad. Um, and I, I've been kind of hard as a casual LA fan. I've been pretty hard on Reiner this season. He is a rookie and you know, there's, there's nothing to say bad about that. You, it takes time to learn these sorts of things, but I think Reiner had a lot of confidence in himself and that led him to some really sloppy plays. Yeah. And 
go ahead. I, I was just going to say, and when it, the Winston is the defining, it, it, you know, we, we talk a lot about the Sojourns being the, the hard carry, but the Winston is the defining tool that allows the Sojourn to get the value because the placement of those bubbles and, and the management of your aggression to basically to determine the sight lines um, mm -hmm. is, is what makes and breaks the Sojourn play because... I mean, to get really nerdy about it, you, you have to think about the number of sight lines that are being controlled by Winston's bubble. Um, healing is disrupted. The Sojourn's immediate railgun is disrupted. And, and that bubble does not break as quickly as you think it does. You know, watching it in, and playing it in real time, it feels like it goes down quickly, but there's a lot of in-game time that goes by trying to break that bubble. That's a lot of time that sight lines are down and it forces rotations in certain ways to really control the flow of, of the fight. You know, you you are literally forcing uh, healers and, and, and the hit scan to play around that sight line and you are telling them where they are going to be able to go and play. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent, you know, like, especially when it is largely sojourn versus sojourn and you have two hit scan players with a hundred percent rail charge posturing for somebody's head. And then suddenly one of them has a Winston bubble in the face. Like yeah. that's game over. I think talking about teams like, uh, Hangzhou where their win is based on how good shy plays. Gushue was great. I don't want to, say that Gushway didn't play well. I think he did, but he certainly was not setting up the whole team for success the way no. like Fearless was, which allowed, you know, Shy to pop off, but allowed Sojourn players less on it than Shy to still be able to win those matchups because they had support of that Winston. And I agree. I mean, like, Mikey looked better in playoffs than Mikey has looked all year. Kaluj looked really good. Um, I, I'm a big old fanboy of space. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think they should have put space on on all the tank rolls this year and said, "You're playing Winston. Get used to it, nerd." Um, yeah. But even in this three-one victory, when it went to circuit and space came out to play sigma kaluj just looked better um i if san francisco would have won i would have put kaluj as mvp of their playoff run i think kaluj did a lot for san francisco obviously proper let's put proper on the shelf where proper belongs and talk about the rest of the team we're gonna talk specifically um, about this in a little bit because i have i do have thoughts regarding the 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 overall just like the team as a whole um yeah because like yeah we're, we're, we're gonna talk about it in, in a little bit we can we can touch upon that uh, upon the shock specifically more but like i agree with you with la that they're, they're in a weird position right because they are in essence sort of in a rebuild phase of their own because they are they need reiner to to step up to be the main tank role and also not play like a rookie and yeah. and space. I don't know how much longer space is going to be playing as a pro. I, I it can't be that much longer. Yeah, it just can't be. So to like, I, I mean, there's the argument to be made. Well, if you want to win the tournament, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta give yourself the best tools. But you're talking massive long game to think back in April that we need to groom space to be in in the main tank role for finals. You know, 
it, it was a hard position to be in. The inconsistency of the game in the, in the past six to eight months has not been the best for determining that all on. So, like, you know, what are you going to do last minute? We, how are they going to predict that Winston was going to be the final meta? You know, yeah, you got to rely on your main tank player. I, it's partially on the coaching staff for not recognizing that they needed to be more aggressive as a whole because they, in the roles that they do have veterans, their support line in particular, they have the tools to really to force that aggression out of Reiner. It might not be perfect, but you could look at towards sort of a an end game situation like you did with Mikey, where he wasn't prime for the cause, but it could have built them a, a better playoff run than it did. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing just to say about LA is that, quite frankly, this meta did not suit their DPS well. No. Happy was great on Sojourn. Kevster's Reaper left a lot to be desired. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Kevster is a hyper flex player. He's really good at it. He plays a lot of heroes at a really high level. But Reaper is not one that I would put in Kevster's hero pool. They did some silly shit switching happy to reaper and putting kester on sojourn for a little while like i i think that this meta did not play for la the way that they hoped that it would i think they had a lot of the same problems in this meta that they had in jotes just that ability to go in to win is not LA's playstyle. And I just don't think they were ready for what this meta became because I don't think anyone I certainly didn't but like I don't think anyone would have predicted it to be as as balls to the wall as it was at its highest point. Like I I have never and I mean this it took me by surprise. I have never seen Overwatch played like this. Like it was to the point where if it had gone a notch further that it was basically reckless gameplay. Like, it was so blisteringly fast. Like, I do not think that... I do not think LA was even the slightest bit prepared for that. No. No, absolutely not. So, let's move on here. Uh, I've got a couple more bullet points. Soul Dynasty, who, you know, I, I know, like, had a lot... People had a lot of faith going in. We put them relatively high. Mm-hmm. I think... Smurf may have been one of the only other realistic arguments for MVP. Like, people had a lot of faith in Seoul. They only beat the Florida Mayhem. Mm-hmm. They did lose to Dallas and San Francisco. So, like, they played the grand finals teams early. Maybe if the bracket shapes out differently, things go differently. But what did you think of Seoul's performance? this week and were you as underwhelmed by it as i was i wouldn't call it underwhelmed necessarily because i'm at the risk of repeating the same talking points we've been going over the past 20 minutes like they adapted to the meta enough to get them where they ended up and Mm -hmm. not not a moment not like not an inch further um they were when they played dallas massively underwhelming but that's because dallas was terrifying through the entire the entirety of the playoffs um and and soul once again couldn't match that level and there was a a break point in the bracket where teams adapted to that speed or they just lost and actually this game the the game versus um soul and shock was was that break point roughly Mm -hmm. um because that was where that's where the final separation was made uh, for the teams that that progressed, so 
you know, I, they, they adapted to the point where it got them where it did, and they still weren't fast enough. Yeah, man. I I guess I shouldn't say Shanghai, or I'm sorry, not Shanghai, Seoul as a whole was underwhelming. I wasn't underwhelmed by Smurf. I thought Iris and Vindame played great. Honestly, what I was the most underwhelmed by was Shanghai's DPS line. Um, I think that Iris, Vindame, and Smurf were like, all right, go fast. We go fast. Let's go. And Prophet, Stalker, and Fitz, I think, struggled the most to make those adjustments. I will say my favorite game of this whole playoff series, taking Grand Finals out of it, was mm -hmm. Soul versus Shock. That game was fun to watch. The scoreboard does not look as close as the gameplay was. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a really good game. Kaluge put sit in the chat, and yeah. I lost my that fucking was, mind. That, was, that game was insane. That game was insane. It was crazy. Yeah, that was one of those, like, that, that was one of those games where I remember just staring at my TV screen thinking, what is it going to take to slow proper down? Can anything stop him? This man is unhinged. You know, I was talking about like when when the switch was was flipping for for shock. This was the game where it had been fully flipped. From that from this game on, they were they they blew my expectations out of the water. Um but you know, we'll again, we'll talk more about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Um Next bullet point, we've talked about this a lot, but let's take our minute to just, like, break down the Hongjo Sparks performance. Shy had his way with the bracket until Proper decided to do something about it. Brad, what are your thoughts on the Hongjo Sparks performance in the sense of, okay, Gushui looked good, Shy looked good. What the hell else is going on with the Hongjiao Spark. Also, if you haven't pulled out the Hongjiao Sparks roster page recently to see just how many players mm -hmm. are on that team, I recommend doing so. For having the biggest roster in the league, I can't figure out why they couldn't put something more together um, than what they did. I, look, they had a great bracket run. I don't, again, don't have a lot of thoughts on the Spark. Their win condition was shy. And when teams could could shut him down, they got no value. They they have yep. a they have a problem with cohesion and and carry potential across the board, and simply relying on shy clearly doesn't doesn't do it for them. Like like they had they came into this this tournament with a negative record from the prior uh from the prior stage like. If he can't get value, the team loses. That's just not a good strategy. They they have a big freaking roster. It's to me this screams coaching diff. Like if you are if you are the head coach of this team and you can't put together a strategy that wins while having the biggest roster in the league, something is wrong. Something is wrong, and that is that is my full take on it. Fix it. There's clearly there's clearly potential for there to be something. Fix it. So let me let me put this out here as a as an idea, right? You say coaching diff. I want to take that a step farther, and I want to call this a management diff. Um, sorry, gamer rant. I'm gonna use the word diff anyway. <laughs> I'm gonna call this a management diff, and and here's why. 
So I'm looking at the Sparks roster. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven dudes playing for Spark right now. Um, league minimum is six. Way back at the start of the year, Overwatch 2 launched. Nobody knew what was going to happen. You know, like we didn't know how many tanks you should have, if you should have role specialists, if you should have hero specialists, how big should everybody's hero pool be, yada, yada, yada. So I'm looking at the Sparks roster, and out of those 11 people, there are only two players who I don't remember having recent playtime. The only two out of 11 that I don't remember seeing on the bench recently are Neko on support and Architect on DPS. I do not have a lot of, of recollection of those two getting minutes this season. So what the Sparker left with are nine players that all have small limited hero pools and have not had an opportunity to build a lot of great chemistry with each other. I think the Spark are too big. I think that they were hard carried by Shy. I mean, like, put in a backpack and hiked for miles levels of hard, hard carried by Shy. But because you have four other people who, like, yeah, they're playing with Shy this week, but they might ride the bench for two months afterwards, you can't build any sort of cohesion. You can't build any sort of hero pool. And I, I think that. The Hangzhou Spark are the definitional example of going forward. You need players on your roster with large hero pools who play together regularly instead of having a thousand people who you can plug in as needed. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. I, I at the end of the day, something just needs to change. They need to they need to get it together. I think it would benefit them to have to shrink their roster a little bit and really hone in on the on on the members that they have, um, because you know the the solo carry is not gonna is not gonna win you tournaments. It's just not right, right. All right. Last but not least, my final bullet. Dallas stomped everybody who got in their way including the San Francisco shock. And I don't want to say they got stomped. Yeah. I was going to say really that, that's, uh, I will not, I will not say that they stomped the shock. I will say that, uh, experience won that game. Experience yeah. won that game. Well, cause like, let's look, okay. Winners round one, Dallas wins three, one winners round three, or excuse me, winners round two, Dallas wins three, one winners round three, Dallas wins three, zero winners round four. Dallas wins 3-1. Grand Finals. Dallas goes to seven maps against San Francisco. Yeah. This was the best Grand Finals game we have ever gotten in the Overwatch League by a mile. Truly. And I think what's really what's really crazy to me. Um what's really really crazy to me. I had I had Dallas winning this after after the first round. I said I said after the very first round after I saw them play I was like this is their year they're winning this and even up until the grand finals I had said they're going to beat the shock once the shock had won against Houston I said there's a chance the shock could pull this out but I definitely think it's going to be Dallas um and I thought Dallas was going to beat the piss out of them I really did. I honestly did. I watching Dallas play this entire week, I was shocked 
I had no, I've never seen Overwatch played like this. Never, never before. And it was so impressive and so clean. And good Lord, I, I, I talked about this. I sent this to you days ago because I said I didn't want to forget this. Dallas yep. are the prime example of what an APAC team could be because they are a full Korean roster with no language barrier. They have the ability and the funding to scrim against teams in North America because they're the North American team. They are what APAC could be if APAC was integrated into the rest of the league and they weren't just scrimming against the same eight teams repeatedly. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, like, Dallas does not have a a, a shy, a proper... Edison looked awesome. Sparkle looked awesome. Fearless is a great Winston. Fielder and Chio really pulled it all together. Like Dallas is a full, cohesive team, full of players at really high levels. The Shock, on the other hand, have maybe the player at the highest level in proper and a lot of other good players, but don't have that full full team cohesion and and when it comes to big seven game grand finals i think full team cohesion means a lot more than having an all-star player and i well i think what it comes down to like i said this game the, the grand finals were won by experience you look at you look at dallas they are all all of them yeah they're all they're all veterans yep but, like they're all vets they have all played in the overwatch league before most together of, yeah mostly. T- together and most of the most of the shock is, are rookies you know they brought in striker which now we know after a month and a half i guess it's been since they they made that move was a contingency to prepare for grand finals you know to mm-hmm. take some of the pressure off of proper and to their credit it mostly worked it yeah. did it did mostly work but even still Having two, you know, having three fifths of the team as rookies, uh, you know, it's it's just not quite. It doesn't measure up fully to the potential that that Dallas had. I, you know, I say Mikey's rookie. He he played for Boston before, but had a, I think a year off in um, uh, contenders. But like, even Mikey, like not playing at the same level of, as Fearless, and and having already spoken about how. Uh, important the Winston was to this comp- uh, composition like it was just it, it was not so much a full team difference it was just like the shock weren't fully there they they took they made big strides throughout the entire tournament to get to the point where they really put up a fight uh, and almost had it almost had it in the bag but there were just a couple I, I don't even want to call them small mistakes. They they were small mistakes in the grand scheme of things, but those small mistakes added up to just make the Dallas fuel better enough to beat them. They they were yeah, and and it's and it really was those mistakes that were made fully felt like they came from uh, positions of experience. You know, Dallas just were able to keep the level head a little bit more and keep the this wild meta under just that much more control. Yeah, and I I pulled up the numbers because I was curious. The latest additions to the Dallas Fuel 
were Chio, Edison, and Gurio. Yeah. All three joined in October of 21. So, like, none of these guys were rookies, but they all came in last year and had a full season of playing together. If you want to see the difference in front of your eyes, go to the Dallas Fuel website roster page. Everybody's player image is wearing a Dallas Fuel jersey. Yeah. No other team has that. Not a single one. So I think that you did say it in our Discord earlier. You you said all that stuff about APAC, and you said this is Dallas's year, and they've been working for it. You know, they built this team. They have Sparkle and Edison who have been in the team for a while. Like they were, they were really ready, ready to win this year for sure. Yeah. And, and like I said, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how big of a, of an impact I think that the language barrier has here, because I, I found out during the grand finals that Violet is the shock caller for the shock. Like he is the IGL, which I didn't know. I've been very hard on on uh, Violet most of the year in regards to his play style. I think he's reckless, and I think he takes bad positions a lot of the time. But knowing that he does the IGL position for the team as well, like I, I it takes a little, it gives him a little bit more slack in my eyes because he's now forced to take different positions, so he has a better awareness of what's going on. But even still, the Shock aren't a full Korean roster. They're still managing with mixed comms. Even if you try and tell Mikey and Kaluj the basics of Korean comms, there's still going to be things that get lost in translation that they have to make up for with um, awareness. Like yep. a, a team that is that is one that has one language that they all understand fluently and cleanly and understand how their comms work fully and cleanly and can hear even minor nuances through the shitty microphones of those aviation headsets like that that can't be understated that's a big difference like that is that is a very very big difference that i don't think a lot of people keep track of like when they think about how these games are played out so you know i i do think that like Dallas did the smart thing a couple of years ago when they decided to go with a full Korean roster and they built something that now has culminated in, into a into a grand finals win all right. Well, we've got to the end of, of this. I want to hear your final thoughts on playoffs overall. And I know you were wanting to talk about the shock. If you got anything else to say, throw it on the table. I'll start with shock because it's going to be relatively short. I think I think that Proper finds himself in a very, very strong position of power. Uh, and I don't know what kind of person he is. Um, I Judging by the look of him, being he looks relatively harmless as a human being which is which is fun uh but like i i think he he now sits in a position where he should try to pressure the shock to recruit some help for him so that he's not really the big hard carry so that there is something else to help him succeed because to not to get the mvp rookie of the year and uh whatever the hell the other award he got was um, roll star. Yeah, roll star. Like to to get a to get a three a three piece award and not win the, the grand final is kind of a bummer, and it speaks to the fact that he just didn't have the full support that he needed from his team. It's kind of a it's a similar, very different, but not fully dissimilar to the spark situation. 
Um, so, you know, I think this is now the shocks, uh, time to, to take what they've learned from this and to get, to, to get a main tank in order, to get some extra flexibility on the support role. Um, I genuinely don't think that the damage is the problem. I don't. I really don't. I think their damage, they have enough damage players. I think they have enough to sort it out. Sam be damned. Like they, they have enough damage to, to get, to get what they need. They now need to take it upon the rest of the roles and, and, and sort out the weaknesses, even if it's just coaching the hell out of Mikey into getting his, into getting his aggression managed properly. Doesn't even, they just need to find some way to get proper some help to where that team can now take what they've got from this season and win a freaking third championship next year or at least some tournaments next year. Like, they're, yeah. now, they're now no longer rookies. Now it's time to, to ante up and, and get it sorted. So, no, ante up is Houston's thing. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't make it to grand finals. It's, it's the shocks now. Um, sure. So that's that's enough about the shock. I you know, like I said, proper proper well deserved for every award that he got this year. So now do something with him or he'll go to a team that has the that has the the resources to get him that that championship win. So you know, keep that in mind too. As far as the grand finals as a whole, this this whole tournament best Overwatch I think we've ever seen pr- performed at the pro level full full stop i think that is the best overwatch we have witnessed one of the most exciting metas to watch one of the you know across the board just good games all around generally some disappointments but the the vast majority really good games played across the board i i want to see more now yeah yeah i mean i i agree i have had a great time this year. I think Overwatch League's first year on Overwatch 2 was a massive success. Uh, I think these were the best playoffs that we've ever had. It was great to be back at LAN. I hope we get more LAN events next year. Obviously, all of those things. Yes. I agree wholeheartedly on proper. I view proper as, you know, like the Sidney Crosby, the LeBron James. Yes. This guy is an icon of the league. And I hope that, I hope that San Francisco benefits from that. I hope that proper individually benefits from that. I hope that the league can use proper in a way that the league benefits from his ability and also doesn't burn proper to a crisp yes and and give him horrid mental health issues as the league is wont to do um yeah and i i hope the best for him going forward honestly i feel like a lot of years i come out of playoffs thinking all right well these five teams really need to restructure and i don't feel that way this year there are certainly a couple teams that i think need some serious help um, my my biggest one would be Atlanta. I think Atlanta needs to rework their roster in a serious way. But like my feelings on the future of Florida, Houston, London are all really good and better than I expected them to be on the other side of this. Even Toronto, who I, I don't think had a great showing, I don't think is in a world of hurt. Uh, you know, I, I think yeah. that... This was a really competitive grand finals and it was not 
a blowout at the end as it has been in other years. It's just like, it's a good year for Overwatch League. Thank God we needed one. We needed one desperately. Yes. And now it's time to ride that rom- ride that momentum. Ride that momentum. <laughs> ro <Ruh-roh>, raggy. <laughs> raggy. Uh, ride that momentum and and do something and, and this is the onus is on Blizzard and the league now. Do something with the momentum. Make sure yeah. that this stays up so that next year the money is flowing for for these teams to do more, for us to get bigger LAN events, to get back to sort of the glory days of the Overwatch League, the the storied glory days, if, as they were. Yeah, totally agree. Well, that's all I got. You have anything else? Ah, I think we can put a bow on that. <laughs> well, then let's put a bow on it. That will do Boom. it for this episode of Spectator Diff. Again, please subscribe to us here on YouTube, or if you're listening to the audio of our show, subscribe on your podcast app of choice. You can follow me on socials at MC underscore dj underscore mc and maybe not on twitter for much longer we'll see lol and me on socials at last call underscore gaming and until next time just remember diff isn't a bad word we are the spectator difference and we're better at watching overwatch <laughs> than you especially you gamerrant.com <laughs> ggs everybody except gamerrant